We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Redemption Church with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. How old is she? Anybody know? Don't know. What is her name? We know. Anybody see her name written in there? Nope. Where is her family? There's all kinds of questions like that. Where's her family at? Where is she? We don't know. What? What all? We've got that. Let me preach. You're you're still my. He asked, what did Jesus write? This story is like that. You've got a lot of questions that come in your head. And that's so good that you have those questions. I love it, son. Absolutely. She has accusers. That's one thing we know about her. This woman has accusers. And they never tell us anything about the woman except that she was caught. She was caught in the act of adultery. Maybe the accusers don't know anything else. Maybe that's all they knew about her. There's some of those people out there that all they know about you is what you've done wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know all about that. But more likely, the accusers think nothing else matters but her judgment. For her sin. Oh, that's a pretty gross sin, right? Those people never come to church, do they? No, those people live at churches. They live at churches, and the altar is for those people as much as the person walking in for the first time. That's absolutely, absolutely true. And let's just be honest and transparent. I've been that person that needed to go to the altar and clean up my heart of my judgmental ways. Moving on, the Pharisees act like prosecutors in the court of law. The lawyer for the prosecution will only point out what the defendant has done wrong. If they get the the person, the, the defendant on the stand, they will just pummel them. And if the defendant tries to say something that the prosecutor doesn't want them to say, maybe explain their situation a little bit. But you don't understand. I was having a hard day. You don't understand. I was I was out of money. They were and they were like. Your Honor, I object. This battery, this 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 witness right here is is uh, fighting me. But why? Because they don't want them to say anything that will point paint any other picture than their guilt and their deserving of judgment. Does anybody have that feeling with the Pharisees? They're a little bit like those kind of prosecutors. A prosecutor will never say anything nice about an offendant. It will never happen. They only seek to paint them in the most terrible light possible. The Pharisees act as a prosecutor. This woman was caught in the act. Then they act like case closed, right? Case closed. We caught her. The law says that she should be stoned to death. Now, Jesus, we're waiting on you to carry out this case closed, open and shut, case a defense attorney was not present did anyone notice that there's a prosecution present but there is nobody there as a defense attorney no one actually speaks up on behalf of the woman in this story did y'all notice that oh my goodness she was defenseless say defenseless i want you to get this point today she's defenseless have you ever felt defenseless Have you ever felt ganged up on? Have you ever ever felt like everyone was against you? 
Have you ever felt like no one cared to hear your side of the story? Your side of the story just doesn't even matter. You felt that before. Have you ever felt used? Have you ever felt guilty, hopeless, unloved? If so, then yeah, you have felt defenseless. Go a little further. Have you ever been caught? Because that's the term used for this woman. She was caught. There is no defense for that, really. When you're caught, just wait for your sentencing. The woman in the dirt was defenseless. The woman was not allowed to tell her story. And I wonder what her story was. I really do. Imagine with me. Let's imagine her story. Now, this is in the Bible. You read the story. This part's not in the Bible. We're just imagining. She has some story. I wonder what it's like. Perhaps it's like this. She was a young lady with hopes and aspirations. One day she meets a man who shows an interest in her. Perhaps they get married or perhaps they don't get married. But imagine that she gives herself intimately to this man only to ultimately be used and discarded. Given the ancient world culture, now that she is no longer a virgin, she is unlikely to become married. Either married again or married for the first time. Now that she is no longer a virgin, she is likely disowned and disinherited by her family. They would act like she never existed. The father and the mother would act like their daughter because of this thing that happened. They would act like she no longer existed. It would be called putting her away. Can we think of a story in the Bible where a woman was going to be put away? You ought to be thinking about Mary because that's how Joseph described Mary. He was going to put her away quietly. That she was going to be disowned by him, who was her fiancé. And she was probably going to be disowned by her family. That's what that story is all talking about uh, with, the, with the birth of Jesus right there in that Christmas narrative, narrative we always look at. Since she had no more hope of a happily ever after, this woman that's caught. And since she could not turn to her own for help and support, where do you think she might turn? Well, it's likely then that she turned to prostitution to try to just make it through another day. Imagine the heartache being hurt by a person she loved, then being discarded by the people she loves, and now being degraded, being valued. And to be defenseless against all of this attack. Now imagine, imagining she was broken. She was broken how? By being exploited and used by a man. Now she exploits herself and allows herself to be exploited every day in prostitution. She was broken. 
And now every day she's broken again. I don't know this woman's story for sure, but this kind of story would not have been unheard of in the ancient world. My thoughts are this is probably pretty close to the story. The woman was defenseless. I also said that she was exploited. Let's talk about that. Exploitation. She had been taken advantage of. She had been used. She was in a constant state of being used and then discarded. She had been broken repeatedly. And who could have ever expected a different outcome? She probably had no expectation of a better tomorrow. I want to remind you how the story started. Verse 3 says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery that made her stand before the group. She was brought. That's the first thing. Look at that. She was brought. Did they bring her? Did she come on her own uh, free will? Did they say, hey, why don't you come meet Jesus with us? Is it that? No, they brought her. I want you to imagine that there's a strong man with his hand on her wrist. Maybe she's tied up. I don't know. Maybe she's just surrounded and she's so afraid that she doesn't even think that she could get away if she tried to run. She's brought and she is made to stand before the group. This was not her choosing. She didn't want to be here. She did not choose to be here. She was forcefully brought. She had no choice but to come with those who exerted power over her. Verse 4. And said to Jesus, these are the Pharisees' teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Verse 5. In the law of Moses, the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? So it was to be an immediate judgment and execution. I want you to get that picture here. They weren't going to say, I think we should have a court case. Let's reconvene in two weeks. No, there was she was being judged and she would be executed immediately. But read the next verse 6. They were using this question as a, somebody say it, trap. In order to have a basis for accusing him, who's him? Jesus. They had used this woman to set a trap for Jesus. Do we understand that? Do we understand what's happening here? They, the Pharisees, were using This question, they asked him a question, right? Now, what do you say? Well, Law Moses says this. Now, what do you say? They're using this situation. They're using the woman and they're using this question. Should we stone this sinner? That's the question. They're using that question as a trap for who? For Jesus. Somebody say exploited. The woman was being exploited by the Pharisees. Do you see that? You know what it means to be exploited. It means to be taken advantage of. It means to be used. They really didn't care what happened to the woman. It really wasn't about the woman. It was about who? Jesus. It was about trapping Jesus. They were using her. They were accusing her to really accuse Jesus. Now you stop right there because that is exactly what the devil 
That is exactly what the devil does. The devil accuses you so that he can turn around and accuse the one who made you, the one who brought you out of darkness. You, you, look at this person. You made, you called them, you put your name on them, and now look at what they're doing. That is exactly the accusation of the enemy. I want you to tell you the devil's not interested in you either. It's not about you either. His accusations, he doesn't care what happens to you. He doesn't want to be with you for eternity. He wants to accuse you so he can hurl that accusation at the most high God. There is so much that we could talk about that, but you need to get this picture that it's not really about you. You can carry that to a lot of places. Worship's not really about you either. This sermon right here is not really about you. All, the, all that you're going through is not really about you. It is about who will you serve, who is going to be king, who is going to be Lord over your life. That's what it's always been about. My goodness, but we always make it about us, don't we? Oh, that's us, right? Why me? Why me? Change it from why me to, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, you know. Oh, Lord, I praise you. Oh, Lord, I trust you. Oh, Lord, I didn't mean to be in this situation, but here I am. And I'm standing for how cruel that this exploited woman was yet again being exploited. How many times must this woman be treated? Do you need to remind, do I, do I need to remind you that she's being exploited by the ones who consider themselves righteous? The scripture says they were using their question to the master. As a trap. As a trap. Let's go to the next one. Entrapment. Talk defenseless. Exploited. Now let's talk about entrapment. Can you say that word for me? Entrapment. Now they're trying to entrap Jesus. They're putting Jesus in a scenario where no matter what he does, they will accuse him. Do you see how the, that's how they built the, 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 the case here? No matter what Jesus does, they're not going to agree with him. They're trying to get him in trouble. Somebody say, you're trying to get me in trouble. That is one of the things you need to learn in grade school. There's, there's kids that are trying to get you in trouble, and you need to look at them and say, you're trying to get me in trouble. And as an adult, you still need to get that because you work with some people at your job that are just trying to do the same thing. You ought to learn what you were able to say as a first grader and look at them and say, you're trying to get me in trouble. I don't like that. And we're done here. I'm not going to. Jumping down your throat. I'm not going to yell about it. I just want you to know. I see what you're doing. <laughs> if Jesus says, don't stone her. Jesus, no, 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 no. I love this person. Do not stone her. They will accuse him of what? Not keeping the law of Moses. Oh, Moses says we should stone such women. Now Jesus is saying, don't stone her said, oh, I knew Jesus wouldn't keep the law. I knew Jesus was no good. I knew he was not. Does he think he's better than Moses? He is not a prophet at all. That's what they would say. And then if Jesus says, yeah, guys, let's get her. Let's stone her. Let's end her life. Let's just put her out of her misery. They would likely change the story. They would likely change the story and accuse Jesus of stoning a woman without proof. Because you can't do that either. 
How are you stoned? There's no proof so far here, right? So now they've got it set up, and they've got it set up, and now they're just like, what will Jesus do? And he's got zero room. Whatever it is, they've got it. Oh, they've got you. They, they really, they're patting themselves on the back about now because they're like, oh, my goodness, whoever's idea this was, it was a good idea. Finally caught this Jesus. We're going to get him. But their trap doesn't begin with Jesus, does it? Who does it begin with? It begins with the woman. The Pharisees probably entrapped the woman. So they're trying to entrap Jesus, but they're probably entrapped the woman. Go with me on this, verse 3. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in the woman caught in the act of adultery. They caught the woman in the act of adultery. So wait, the act of adultery takes how many people? At least it takes two people. One of which is Mary. Y'all stay with me, everybody, everyone. Hold on. All right. The act of adultery takes two people. One of which is married. Everybody agree? All right. The woman is not likely married. Do you agree with that? All right. So where's the married man? Where's that guy? Where is he? Is he there? Did they bring him? How is it that the man was not caught? They caught the woman in the act. Y'all get me? The man's there too. Was he not caught? How is it that we are never told about the man? We don't see the man. We don't hear about the man. We don't know his name. And he's a married guy. Question, just consider this. Was there a man at all? Think about that. Did this guy actually exist or did they just hurl this accusation at him? Could it be that the entire accusation was fabricated? Maybe the woman's not a prostitute. Maybe she is a prostitute, but this is not something that she's done. Maybe they fabricated it. And they trapped her and there's no way out. They brought her to her judgment, her execution, fabrication. But could it be that the guilty man is one of the Pharisees who willfully trapped her in a sting operation of sorts. And they looked past the sin of one of their own brothers. Consider that for a moment. So a sin was done, but that, you know, that's brother so-and-so, and he did it for the right reasons. Sure, it's going to kill the woman, but it's a small price to pay if we can get Jesus. You see this thing. There is something here that does not add up. At the very least, we can all agree. Something here is a little fishy. And these Pharisees, we know later what their court cases are like with our very own Jesus. And did they bring up liars there? Oh, yes, they did. They brought up people and they lied right about our Lord. So these Pharisees are hypocrites, everyone yell it just like that, hypocrites, they were unethical, 
yet dared to judge her ethics. They were unrighteous, yet they proclaimed what was righteous. The woman in the dirt is defenseless. She's exploited. She is trapped. So how would Jesus respond? That's really what this story is about, right? Say this, how would Jesus respond? If I've learned anything from reading the Bible, it is that Jesus usually responds unexpectedly. Have you ever noticed that? Everybody been like, huh, I didn't think he's going to say that. Anybody ever pray to the Lord Jesus and his response is a little unexpected to you? Anybody? Yeah. Oh, man, it's really good. Sometimes he, he says things that I just never would have imagined him saying. I've done that in some, several times. I remember one day I walked out of a, a place without praying for somebody, and evidently I was supposed to pray for that person. And, and Leslie, I tell you, I felt the Lord speak right to my heart. And the Lord said something that I didn't expect, and he said it to Rhea in a way I wouldn't have ever expected. In fact, I'm going to tell you this, and you're probably going to be like, oh, pastor's lost it. But the Lord said this. I walked out the door. The door is closing behind me. And I felt the Lord say right in my heart, huh. So you're not going to pray for them. I felt him say that. Huh. So you're not going to pray for them. And I was like, that was wild. And I whirled around and I caught that door before it closed and locked. And I walked in. And I said, hey, let's be spiritual and let's pray for each other. So we prayed right then and there. But Jesus is like that. He's unexpected. He's unexpected. Jesus, you're always so surprising. You have permission to surprise us here tonight. I am always surprised at how Jesus loves my enemies. I'm always surprised at how Jesus is willing to forgive me. I'm 42 years old. I've prayed my share of repentance. And I'm always amazed at how effortlessly he just lifts up that heavy burden of guilt off of my heart. I expect Jesus to reject me, but he has never rejected me. He always embraces me. And I got to tell you, I'm still surprised by it. How Jesus responds in John 8 is surprising to me. It's still surprising to me every time I read this story. It still surprises to me. It's never become old hat to me. I am never like, well, of course, Jesus responds like that. No, it is amazing how Jesus responds in this situation where they're trying to trap him, where they're trying to defeat him, where they're trying to kill someone he loves, where he has zero room to wiggle. He has zero room. They have, they've made a master plan for him to fail. To watch Jesus respond to it to this day blows me away. If it had been an action movie, anybody like action movies? Jesus would have looked at the woman in the dirt and he would have said, follow me if you want to live. And he would take a pump action rifle. He goes, then he'd just start blowing Pharisees away. If that were the action Hollywood movie version, don't you agree? I would so watch that. Sorry, Jesus, that would be pretty fun. If it had been a soap opera, soap opera, anybody watch soap opera? Don't, don't raise your hand. Oh, I will judge you. All right. I'm so sorry. 
not, not even a sin. It's just like so far. Uh, Jesus would have awakened from a coma in a soap opera. Oh, just woke up and revealed that he is the long lost brother of the woman in the dirt. That's, what, that's how that would have happened. If it had been Star Wars, a cloaked figure would appear against the two sons of Tatooine and ignited a lightsaber as the John Williams score crescendo. I'd watch that one. All right. Verse 6. But Jesus bent down and started to ride on the ground. Never the, the response I expect. What about you? Everyone who is present and every person who has read this scripture has thought the same thing. Will asked it earlier. What was Jesus doing? What was Jesus writing? There is a problem at hand. There is a, a trap set for the woman and for Jesus. So why is he down on the ground riding in the dirt? What's that about? Jesus is again unexpected. There's a pressing need. And Jesus is seemingly, seemingly doodling in the dirt. What are you doing? We are never really told what Jesus is doing. I want to suggest that Jesus is disrespecting the Pharisees. Will you think about that for a moment with me? There's a lot of things. And you've probably heard many sermons on this. I want to give you one take I've really felt this week to give you. Here it is. Uh, that Jesus is disrespecting the Pharisees. And their question. Have you ever asked somebody something and they just didn't look at you and they just kept doing what you were doing? That's usually a power play. I mean, sometimes they don't hear you, but usually that's, 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 a, little, that's a little power play. That's like, I'm not going to dignify your question with an answer with any kind of response. To answer the Pharisees' question would have legitimized their usurped authority. The truth is their motive and line of questioning was completely illegitimate. If you think his drawing in the dirt was silly and a waste of time, Jesus is showing us that their traps, their bad theology, their evil motives were misdirected and a complete, utter waste of time. Verse 7, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Verse 8, again, where did he go? He stooped down and rode on the ground. They kept questioning Jesus. And Jesus gives them permission to stone the woman. With one caveat. You can stone her, sure. But first, what's that caveat? Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw the stone. And with that, what did Jesus do? He just went right back to the ground. He's doodling. He's writing. Whatever he's doing in the ground, he goes right back. To it. There was something really humorous about this business with the dirt. Felt that as I've been reading it lately. It's kind of, it's almost humorous. I don't know if it's, it's totally not a humorous situation, 
but how Jesus kind of handles it, you know that those Pharisees were fit to be tied. They were not happy about this. They were red in the face over this. They were like, oh, we had the perfect plan, and now he's doodling what is going on. Now, every message I have ever heard on this story has taken time to wonder what Jesus was riding in the dirt. Y'all agree? Y'all have all heard that too, right? We've heard it many times. It could be that Jesus was writing the names of the men. Maybe even writing the dates in which they had slept with the very woman that they were now accusing. It could be that they were absolutely sinners themselves and he knew it and he was saying it in the dirt. That's possible. It's possible. It could be that he was writing the command. He might have written a command of Moses. They're bringing him a command of Moses. He who is the word, he could have been writing a command like something like, I don't know, love your neighbor. For all we know, Jesus could have been drawing stick figures. We don't really know. That's my point here. Here is what we do know. Two words for you. Here it is. It worked. Somebody clap your hands if you're happy that what Jesus does works. Jesus, it's not how I would draw it out. It's not how I would have decided to do it. I don't even understand it most of the time, but I got a tip of the hat to Jesus. It works. It works. Verse 9, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, Only until only Jesus was left. I like that part. With the woman standing there. Here is why it worked. Jesus said, let anyone who is without sin be the first to throw a stone. Jesus does not actually defend the woman for being sinless. I want you to understand that. That's not the point here in this story. He doesn't say, oh, she's done nothing wrong. He doesn't say that. That's nothing that Jesus says. He doesn't stand up and say, listen, guys, y'all have wrongly accused this woman. He doesn't say that either. In fact, it's very likely that she was rightly accused as a sinner. Instead, Jesus does what? He challenges the Pharisees to examine themselves instead of. Of the woman. You see, they're examining the woman. Jesus, examine this woman. Look at this woman. Caught in the act. Isn't she filthy? Isn't she awful? So Moses says, ah, examine this woman. And he's like, take a look inside your own heart. When he says the words, he that without is without sin, that is an invitation. That is a challenge to examine their own hearts. Instead of the woman. And they have to ask this question. Here's the question they had to ask. Am I a sinner? It's not just an invitation to justify themselves. But to search, search their hearts for sin. Jesus offers us the same invitation. Do you know that? Do not try to justify your sin. We do that far too often. Drop that. Don't justify your sin. 
If you could justify your sin, you wouldn't need Jesus. You wouldn't need the cross. You wouldn't need the blood of the perfect lamb. The reason we have him coming to earth is because no one could justify themselves. So don't try to justify yourself. Drop the argument. Here's some of the arguments we like to say. But it was not a big sin. But it's a big one. It wasn't a big one. I only stole a million dollars. But we, we might not say a million dollars, but we might say, you know, I only took a few pencils to the back of my office. These are things we do. How about this one? Everyone does it to, to, to justify yourself. Everyone does it. Ah, it's just everyone does it. How about this one? It is okay because no one knows about it. And that's one you don't say out loud. That's one you say in your heart. It's okay. if no. There is a real problem with sin when the biggest fear you have about your sin is that other people would figure it out. Let that sting a little bit because that does need to sting. No, the worst thing about sin is that Jesus had to die for all of our sin. It is nothing to placate. It is nothing to put off. It's nothing to justify and act like it's no big deal. No, it doesn't matter who knows about it. He knows about it. Do you know God knows every time I've sinned? He knows every time, every time, every time. And every time I've sinned, there's not a time he would say it's no big deal. How about this one? It is okay because I only do it occasionally. This is another one. This one hits our heart. Let it hit it. Here it is. They deserved it. I was wrong. They were wrong too. They deserved it. Search your heart. Pharisees. That's us sometimes. Willing to wear that. I'm willing to wear the type, the label. Oh, the Lord invites us to search our heart. Verse 9, at this, those who began, heard, began to go away one at a time. The older ones heard until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. I love, I love this verse. One at a time, they grew convicted of their sin. Can I tell you this? Conviction takes time. I, was in, I grew up in churches. Where person would come in and they would be like, you've got to change right now. Everything. Change everything. And they're like, I'm just trying to figure out if God's real. I'm like, ah, I notice you're wearing pants, woman. Put on a dress. Like I was, that's the kind of church I was raised in. The kind of church I was raised in. It's the kind of church I was, and I learned a lot of good things there. But those are things I learned to, God help me unlearn those things. One at a time. You see, that what they needed to learn this, my church, if I could go back to time, I'd tell them this. You see, God convicts us of our sins one at a time. He convicts us of our sin. And so if there's a sin in someone's life, maybe you shouldn't throw an axe at them. Maybe you should give the Lord time to convict them one by one of their sins. 
turn the Pharisees into sins. I'm telling you, when I gave my heart to Jesus, I was still a sinner and I was still doing wrong. And one by one, as I contemplated my sin and I contemplated Christ, one by one, I made those sins leave my life. One by one, I made those sins leave my life. And guess what? I'm still trying to make those sins leave my life. I'm not ashamed to tell you. One at a time, they grew convicted of their sins. And the Pharisees walked away from the oldest to the youngest. Something about those older men. They realized a little quicker all the evil that they had done. The sin that was in their life. And they walked away. When they realized that they were just as much of a sinner as the woman. They couldn't say, we are not sinners. We can stone the woman. The woman was defenseless. Let's go back to that idea. But so too were the Pharisees. They were defenseless to their sin. Couldn't do a thing about their sin. Oh man, if sin causes us to be executed Then they were all headed towards the judgment. Sin stood over them ready to execute them. That's what sin does. Sin turns into death. Death turns into a place called the second death. And it is hell. It is awful. Defenseless and then exploited. The woman was exploited, right? Yet the Pharisees were also exploited by their sin. Do you understand that your sin uses you? Do you understand that your sin... It takes advantage of you. They had been taken advantage and used by their sin. Defenseless, exploited, and entrapped. The woman had fallen prey to entrapment, but the Pharisees were no better. Sin had laid a snare, and they had fallen into sin's trap. What happened in the Garden of Eden? Was it a trap? Y'all with me? It was a trap. Jesus offers us an invitation to look at our sin. The woman in the dirt, Scripture says, one at a time, the Pharisees left from oldest to youngest. They were confronted by their sin. They walked away until what? They walked away one by one until what? Do you remember? Until only Jesus remained. I love how John wrote that. They walked away until only Jesus remained. I want you to get the picture of all of your accusers standing over you. They're ready to destroy you. But Jesus, he stands up and somehow he stands up by bending down. Bending down to you. One by one, all your accusers leave until it's just you and Jesus. Verse 10, Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman. Where are they? Has no one condemned you? Now, I think that Jesus has a sense of humor. Does anyone else sense that? Maybe a sense of humor here? I like Jesus with a sense of humor. He asked, where did they go? Like Jesus didn't know. Jesus knew that they had left. He's like, I almost feel like it's it's a little comical. He's like, they walked away. He knows it. And he's like, where did they go? Somehow Jesus, we're to believe that somehow Jesus was so engrossed in riding in the dirt that he forgot there was an execution. 
that these executors were there, right? (laughs) No way. I think Jesus is actually being funny here. Wait, 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 Jesus, I like it. It's almost like Jesus saying, remind me. Weren't you being condemned? Don't you see the humor in that? The enemy had been at work, but he made the mistake. The enemy made the mistake of bringing the sinner right to Savior. Your enemy is at work as well, but you know where he's leading you? He's leading you right to the same Savior. Somebody say, you done messed up, Satan. You brought me right to my knees. You brought me to the place where I gave up and I said, God, if you can't help me, nobody can help me. I'm telling you, that's a great place to be. People resist going to that place, but that's the place where people get saved. You don't get saved until you come to that place. I was saved when I came to that place. Mm. Remember how Jesus invited the ones without sin to throw the first stone? You remember that? So the woman could not pick up a stone, right? She couldn't have picked up a stone because she was a? The Pharisees could not pick up a stone because they were a? Very good. They were sinners as well. But Jesus was without sin. Say amen if you could. Yeah. The only one present who could have picked up a stone was Jesus Christ. The only one under the law that could have, under that precept of the law, picked up that stone to stone that woman because of sinlessness that Jesus brought to the equation was Jesus. The only one who truly could condemn the woman was present. The eternal God is the only one that really can condemn us. Present. But what does Jesus do? Jesus did not condemn the woman. Instead, Jesus was condemned to die in her place. Get that picture. Here's a woman condemned to die, but Jesus has come to earth to be condemned to die for her and for you and for me and for all of us and even for those knucklehead Pharisees. Jesus was condemned to die for them. Do you understand that Jesus has not come to condemn you, but to save you? I think that ought to be a Bible verse. Anybody anybody know that Bible verse? You see, a lot of people can quote John 3.16. We'll throw that up right here. It's the most quoted uh, verse in the Bible. There's actually, you will go to football games. People will have the sign up. I once knew a guy, his, his goal in life was to get a clown hat on and go hold up that sign at a Monday night football game. We'll go unnamed. Right over there. All right. John 3.16, read this out loud with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Raise your hand if you know that verse. Raise your hand. All right. Hands down. Raise your hand if you know the next verse. And no judgment, but there are too many people that don't know 
the next verse. If you know John 3, 16, good, good, good. Grab a hold of this next verse because you need this verse too. John 3, 17, here it is. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Clap your hands for that verse. Jesus loves you, and he is the only one who could pick up a stone to condemn you to death. But instead, Jesus saves you by his death on the cross. He didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. And the wild thing is that he saved you by being condemned for your sin. Let's go back to these points. Remember the woman was defenseless? The Pharisee was defenseless. So what does Jesus become? Jesus became defenseless. He could have called 10,000 angels. How many know it? He could have called 10,000 angels to defend him, to protect him. But he allowed himself to be tortured in our place. He made sure that he was defenseless. Two, the woman was exploited. Pharisees were exploited. So what did Jesus do? Jesus was exploited for us. The same Pharisees took advantage of him. Judas exploited Jesus. Pilate and Herod tried to use Jesus. The Roman soldiers exploited him for nothing more than to laugh at his pain and to get his robe. Jesus was exploited for who? For you. Then the woman was entrapped. Y'all remember that? The Pharisees were entrapped. Jesus also experienced entrapment. When he was wrongly arrested, when he was unfairly put on trial, when he was lied about, but understand this, Jesus was not tricked. Unlike the woman in our story, Unlike the Pharisees that are tricked into their sin, Jesus Christ was not tricked. Jesus walked into the trap knowingly, and he did it for who? He did it for us. He did it for me. He did that for me. He did that for me. He was defenseless for me. He was exploited for me. He was entrapped for me. What Jesus did for the woman, we're going to have the worship. When she, what Jesus did for the woman, he has done for you. Why? There's nobody left out. There's nobody lost. Now I want us to come and pray. And these altars are open right now as I close. You can come right now. I want you to. But I, as, as you come, I, I want to bring you one final point. This really hit me about middle of the week. So I knew I had to add it. Here it is. Jesus reaches down into the dirt. You see that part of the story? But bring that back up. Jesus reaches down into the dirt. Put that on the screen. Jesus reaches down into the dirt. You know Jesus is God, right? Am I in the right church? Jesus is God in a bod. That's always a that's a thing I like to say. Jesus is God. 
He's God in a bod. When Jesus reaches down in the dirt, he is the very same God that reached down into the dirt in Genesis chapter 2. Anybody know Genesis chapter 2? Anybody know that ha- what happens in Genesis 2? In Genesis chapter 2, God reaches down into the dirt and he forms mankind. When in John 8, Jesus is the very same God once again coming in contact. Am I getting at this picture? I don't know if we can really comprehend this, but when God formed Adam in the dirt, God saw more than one man. And when we're forming things, we see one thing at a time. But when God forms something, he sees the life that is in the thing forever. In other words, say it like this. When God created the first tree, he didn't just see the first tree. He saw a forest of trees. And he put the power of a forest of trees inside a single seed inside For more information about redemption, look us up online at redemption-church.com. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or even our anonymous question text line at 214-856-0550. Thank you for joining us, and have a blessed day.